Merry Christmas. Man, it is good to be with you today. I am so glad that you're here. If you're joining us on Facebook, thanks for tuning in and worshiping with us. It is good to be with family and friends on Christmas. And we're at the end of our series, uh, Miraculous Births. And as you would expect, it's Christmas Sunday. And very rarely does Christmas fall on Sunday. But because it does, you'd expect uh, today that we would be talking about the birth of Jesus. And you would be right, we are. And I'll just go ahead and give you the bottom line of this message right up front. Here it is. The bottom line of this message is that God sends His Son, born to be of a woman, so that the humble might rejoice in His eternal reign. That's it. That God sends His Son to us, born of a woman, so that the humble might rejoice in His eternal reign. You know, we think about the story of Christmas, and ironically, the story of Christmas doesn't begin... Uh, with the birth of Jesus. It doesn't begin with, uh, you know, in Bethlehem, in a manger, uh, a stable, or any of those things. Actually, the, the story of Christmas begins in the Garden of Eden. The first woman, Eve, uh, she was not God's humble servant. Eve had everything that a woman could want, but she wanted more, and so she took it. She wanted to be like God, and so she tried to become like God uh, in, in her, her taking a, of the fruit, you know, disobeying God's word. In her pride, she, she doubted what God had said that would be true. You know, if you eat of, from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. She, she didn't, somewhere in her self-consciousness, she thought, this isn't true. She doubted what God had said, and so she rebelled against God. And of course, Adam and Eve's fall led to sin. It led to a broken world, and ultimately it led to death. But, but in the midst of that curse... God leaves humanity with, a, with a, glimmer of hurt, a glimmer of hope. God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, He said, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first promise of redemption. In all of the, in all of the Bible, the story of mankind, this is the first promise of redemption. Eve had hoped that somewhere along the way, one of her sons would be this promised serpent striker. But instead, her eldest son, Cain, struck down his brother Abel. And so it wasn't Eve's sons, and it wasn't going to be Sarah's sons, or Hannah's sons, or Elizabeth's sons, or any of the other ones that we've talked about throughout this series. None of those would be the, the, the child, the baby that would fulfill this promise. So who would this offspring come from? Who would bear this offspring? Who would, who would put an end to this curse? Well, if you look over in Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, starting at verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went with her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, famous words of an angel here, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her, is now in her sixth month. 
For no word from God will ever fail. Pay attention to that. No word from God will ever fail. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary has a different reaction to this angel than uh, we saw last week with uh, Zechariah. Mary doesn't doubt Gabriel's unbelievable message. And what a cool experience that must have been. I mean, an angel appears. Like I told you last week, I've never had an angel appear to me. I've never heard the voice of God speak to me. Uh, you know, I've never had those experiences. But Mary has this experience. This is not a common everyday experience. What an unbelievable experience it would have been for her. And what an unbelievable message that this angel has for her. And she doesn't doubt the message like Zachariah had. And um, she does have some questions about how it's all going to happen. I mean, she said, how's this going to happen? She says, I'm a virgin. And so Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you. And, and the, the, the Most High is going to overshadow you. And that was it. <laughs> when you think about that, you know, Mary's probably 15, 16 years old at this time in her life. And she's had this encounter from an angel who says, you're going to bear, you're going to give birth to, to the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the redemption of all mankind. And she's like, wait, how's that going to happen? And the angel says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you. See you later. I mean, that's, that's all she got. That was all she got. And yet, in her humility, she accepts Gabriel's explanation. Look back at verse 38 again. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, I just wonder... What life would be like for us if that was our response when we felt God calling us to something? Like I said, I've never heard had an angel appear to me and tell me directly to do something. I've never heard God's audible voice tell me to do something. But I've certainly felt the prompting of God calling me to do something. I've certainly felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do something. But I can tell you in all honesty, my response isn't always like Mary's. In fact, more often than not, it's probably like Zachariah's. God, are you sure this is really what you want? God, are, 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 are you, have, you thought, have you thought this through, God? Because I don't think this is going to work out the way that you think it's going to work out, God. You know, that's, that's kind of my response. What would it look like in our life? I just wonder if we would respond like Mary. God, I am your servant. And whatever, if you're calling me to do this, then I am yours. God, I am your servant. Send me. God, I am your servant. If you have called me to it, I know you will, make, you will provide the resources for me to do it. I'll go. I just wonder. Eve, in her pride, she doubted God's word, but Mary, in her humility, believed. And again, it wasn't because Mary had, had all the answers to her questions. I mean, she probably had more questions like, hey, what would it mean that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow me? What's that even mean? I mean what's going to happen when Joseph finds out that I am pregnant and he's not the father? You know, it's like a bad episode of Mari Povich or something. What will the community do when they find out that, that I'm pregnant prior to, to becoming Joseph's wife? I mean, Mary could expect divorce at the best. But, but remember, this is also in a day and age when, when they stoned women for being pregnant outside of marriage. And so that was certainly on the table. I mean, there's a whole lot of things to think about here to consider. And yet Mary's answer is simply... I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Think about how the, the trust that Mary has to put in God and in His purposes for her life. Uh, just a humble trust. What would it look like for you to entrust your life to God like we see Mary do here? Especially as you consider a future that's probably full of apprehension. 
Or maybe as you consider the future of somebody else that you love. It's a scary thing to submit yourself to, to another. Even if our theology tells us that God is a good God and He's trustworthy and He's, and he's perfectly good. It's still a scary thing to do. So let me ask you, what in your life are you struggling to entrust to God? Are you struggling to just hand over to Him? Because here's what I think is true for most of us, is that we'd rather call the shots. We'd rather call the shots in the relationship. We'd rather call the shots in our career, in our career path, with our investments, with, with that habit that we have. So let me ask, what fears or, or errors of your life do you find yourself hiding from and, and just not talking about with, with friends and family? See, our pride runs deep. And we'd rather be in control because we still think, even after all the mistakes that we have made in our life, that we still know better than God. But God blesses those who entrust themselves to Him in humility. Pay attention to that. God entrust, God blesses those who entrust themselves to Him in humility. Elizabeth says this of Mary. She says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. God is blessed with those who just simply believe His Word and entrust themselves to, to Him. God is looking for people who, who think that He alone can do great things for us. Not people that are looking to do great things for Him, that He can do great things for us. And let me just tell you that when that's our attitude, that God alone can do great things for us, then we allow God to do great things through us. It's, it's the opposite, of, really, of the way our world works. Because we're enamored with the beautiful and the talented, the celebrity. But as God said to Samuel, another miraculous birth that we looked at. God said to him, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the heart he's looking for is the heart of just a humble trust. Th this great reversal is really what Christmas is all about. Because God doesn't only come to, to bless those who humbly trust him, but he comes in humility himself. I mean, think about all the ways that the Savior of the world could have arrived on planet Earth. I mean, you, you, you think, okay, he's, he's got maybe a big spaceship that he can descend from with, great, with a great light show. I mean, he could do that, right? I mean, he could come in riding on a white horse and proclaim uh, his reign over all of the, the territories and all, uh, all of the nations. He could do that. He could have come with a great entourage that would have, that would have gone miles ahead of him to announce his coming in, into the city. He could have done that. Instead, he comes into the world just like me and you did. Mary gives birth to Jesus just as Gabriel said she would. And she lays her firstborn son in a feeding trough. In a feeding trough. Think about this. The king of the world. The king of the universe. The creator of the universe. Not just the king of the universe, but the creator of the universe. Is born and he's laid in a feeding trough. We don't get a lot of details in Luke 2 about, about this whole scenario. We don't know if there was some mean innkeeper who turned them away because he, he was just mean and he didn't want to. We're told there wasn't any room, but we don't know how the journey was from, from, uh, to, or to Bethlehem. We don't know any of the details about that. We don't know how the delivery was, if it was a smooth delivery or you know any of, if there were complications. We don't know anything about, about that. We don't know how Mary and Joseph felt. You know, we don't know if they were in a cave or in a stable. You know, or if there were animals around. We don't know. And I think the reason we don't know is because Luke doesn't focus on the details because he wants us to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that God has become man. That the Word that was with us in the beginning has now become flesh. And He's come in the form of a baby. 
Consider the humility that Christ has along with what the Apostle Paul says from Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 through 11. Paul writes this, he says, Who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of, the, of God the Father. God would come to us, His people, that He made, that He created, as a servant, as a weak, dependent child who, who had dirty diapers like every other baby does, who cried when they were hungry like every other baby does, who probably didn't sleep through the night like every other baby doesn't. And in the fullness of time, God would highly exalt His humble Son who took on the nature of a servant. And he promises, God promises to exalt those who humble themselves like Mary and like his son. Can you imagine the joy to be exalted and glorified with the God of the universe himself? I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool experience. That's something that I'm looking forward to. But notice this, only those who humbly trust God will receive that favor. Only those who humbly trust God will know what that experience is like. The promised Savior doesn't merely come to us in humility as a servant, though. He also comes according to the promise of David. He came as Christ the King, the Messiah. David's another guy that we can look at in the Old Testament who, who much like Eve, had everything that he could ever want. He, as a man, he had everything he ever wanted. But like Eve, David wanted more, and so he took it. He took another man's wife because he saw her and he wanted her. and He murdered the man so that he could keep her. David would not be this promised serpent crusher either. But God did love David. And he made a promise to David just as he had made a promise to Adam and Eve in the midst of, of this curse. This is what God said to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He said, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish a th the throne of his kingdom forever. Over a thousand years had passed since God had promised this to David. Since God had spoke those words to David. And many in the nation of Israel had just moved on with their lives. There was no indication that God was going to keep His promise. There was no indication that God had any, any uh, expectations to do anything about this promise anytime soon. But then Gabriel shows up to a virgin named Mary and tells her that the Lord will give her a son. And He's going to sit on the throne of His father David and His kingdom will, will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel tells Mary that her child is the one that's going to establish David's throne. And, and when this child is born, the angels, they deliver the same message. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Again, there's that, that quote from the angels. And they say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you, for He is Christ the Lord. Christ, meaning Messiah, the promised Davidic King. The, the, this child is the fulfillment of this promise. But other than seeing the trustworthiness of God to fulfill ancient promises, why is that promise so significant and, and meaningful for us? Well, if you read on in Luke chapter 2, we, we'll find out. Because in Luke chapter 2, eight days after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they traveled to the temple for, 
for the circumcision of, of, of the baby Jesus. And we see two individuals in this passage who encourage us to, to rejoice at God's salvation because of the fulfillment of this promise. If you, if you flip over to Luke chapter 2, starting at uh, verse uh, 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I wonder if he thought, God, are you going to keep this promise? He's old. He's getting old. He is, tomorrow's not promised for him, nor for any of us, but, but especially at his age. And so he sees this couple, and he says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child... Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to, to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. And she was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward for the redemption of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit tells, us that, tells Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And when Mary and Joseph, they show up with this, with this newborn child, the Holy Spirit moves Simeon to approach this family. You know, there wasn't an angel that told him. He didn't hear God's audible voice tell him, go talk to this family. He just felt the calling of the Lord. He felt the Holy Spirit moving him. And so he does what he's supposed to do. And he goes and he approaches this family. But I wonder what Mary thought. I wonder what Mary thought when this stranger comes up and takes her baby out of her arms and holds him herself. Now I know some of you mamas in here. Mama bears, you like to be known as. That would not have happened. Would it? He would have been like, I don't know what you think you're doing. But, but Mary lets Simeon hold this baby. And they marvel at what Simeon says about their baby. He says, this child is the salvation for all people, Jew and Gentile. And then if Simeon hadn't been enough to kind of shock Mary and Joseph, Anna shows up. And, and she spreads the news uh, to all, all who are around about this child who would be the one who would redeem Israel. Now, if I were Joseph, I, I, I don't know what I would have done, but I would have probably been like, hey, quit telling everybody about my kid. This is getting kind of weird. You know, mind your own business. We came here to do something, and, and we want to do it and be done with it. But it isn't weird, though. The, the joy that we see from the shepherds, the joy that we see from Simeon and Anna, that should be our joy today. We should be celebrating the, the, the birth of a Savior because God has sent His promised ruler. God made a promise thousands of years ago. And he has kept that promise. And it was fulfilled on Christmas Day when he sent his son to be born of a virgin. Salvation is here. Salvation is here in him. What, what, what the world has been waiting for is here. Well, the answer to, to your brokenness and my brokenness 
the, and the fulfillment of our greatest expectations. It's here. And it's in the form of Jesus. We, we see at the conclusion of Simeon's prophecy that salvation would not come the way Israel would expect it to. In fact, Simeon, I think, probably pulls Mary, Mary aside and he gives her this cryptic kind of message uh, uh, that's really kind of a buzzkill in the midst of all, of all of their rejoicing. He says, for this king is going to establish a throne in the most ironic of ways through death. Through death. And this Messiah's death would reveal the state of all hearts. It would reveal the state of our hearts. I wonder if, if your heart's motives, your loves, and everything about you was exposed, what kind of picture would it be? Would it be a pretty picture? How would you feel about that, about having all of those things exposed? Don't, don't worry, we're, we're not going to do a public confession this morning. I'm not even going to ask you to come to uh, a confession or something like that. I don't want my heart to be exposed either. But like Adam and Eve, we haven't trusted God's word. We've rebelled against him. Like King David, we take and desire more even though God has given us so much. Because of our sin and our rebellion, God sent the promised king to rescue us. But instead of winning the war against evil through, through p- political moves or, or military strength, he laid down his life. A spear literally pierced his side as his mother watched his, his body just hanging lifeless after hours of torture on a Roman cross. The same little boy that she had laid in a manger 33 years prior. This was the one that the shepherds worshipped. This is what God's people had been waiting for since time began. It couldn't be, right? And this king of the Jews suffered on a cross. Not just the the agony of a torturous death, but Christ endured the wrath of his father. He, He endured the wrath of his father for human sin, for our sin. And yet he brings salvation by bearing the punishment for all who would simply turn to him and humbly trust that this is not just the son of David, but the son of God. The son of God who had come to make all things new. We look for joy in, in a lot of different places. But, but today I want to encourage you to look to the manger. To look to a rugged cross, to look to an empty tomb, to the throne of heaven and see your king. He is the only one, the only one who can save you from our sins. He's the only one that can make us whole. He's the only one who can bring true joy and lasting joy. He's the source of all of our joy. All the joys that we know in this life, all of the, 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 the great surprises that maybe many of you woke up to this morning as you opened gifts, they all come from Him. He made them all. He wired your emotions, your appetites. He gave you family and community. He's the fulfillment of all of our brokenness and pain. All of our joy can be found in Him. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, When the Eternal stooped from heaven and assumed the nature of His own creature who had rebelled against Him, the deed could mean no harm to man. God in our nature is not God against us, but God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Charles Spurgeon would continue to write, he said, We may take up the young child in our arms and feel with old Simeon that we have seen the Lord's salvation. In faith, we can take up this child in our arms. You can hear the words of love 
in God's word and know his nearness. The question is, will you? Will you look to a manger that held a king with no bed? Will you look to the cross that held an innocent savior? And would you look to an empty tomb that could not hold the Son of God? Will you?